The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded, looking into the North Division, and this time we come to the Vancouver Canucks, and we're joined by Harman Dayal uh, from The Athletic, and you can find him at Twitter with Harman Dayal 2. That's a little bit of a difference, Harman, and thank you for joining yeah. us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I know the uh, a lot of people ask me about that, and, and the original handle was taken, so I didn't know what to do. I decided a two on it, especially because it's my birth uh, uh, date. So I was just like, at least two means has some connection to me. It's not just I'm random a number out there, but um, I was surprised that the original handle was uh, was taken there. Yeah, so was I. I was uh, now you could probably swap it to the athletic or, or something like that, ATH. Or, yeah, I think I, I think um, I, I have to double check too. I think if you change your handle, you lose your um, check mark. Oh right, yeah, yeah, maybe that. So yeah. that's why I was kind of thinking ahead of time if I, you know, if anything ever changes, you know, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, who knows if you're still with uh, the same company or how, you know, maybe the company decides to rebrand and change its name. So yeah. um, just thought I'd keep that flexibility there. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, it works. It works for everything. Uh, we're here to obviously uh, talk the Vancouver Canucks, but as of now, um, um, Pod Colson has just finished his uh, quarterfinal with a win over Germany. Um, not on the goal scoring sheets, but he played a reasonable defensively good game, right? Yeah, I think what you get out of Pod Colson, and I think a lot of fans are seeing it now, is he's not going to be a prolific point producer. But the overall value that he brings to the game as a power forward who um, has tremendous two-way utility and has mastered the details of the game, um, his overall value is going to exceed just his point totals. And um, I mean, you just watch him play throughout the tournament, and, and he's got enough offensive skill too. I mean, he has good vision. Um, he's, he's set up a lot of his teammates for chances. Probably would have more points if some of his linemates could convert on more of uh, his uh, his setups, but. I think he's just come as advertised, where he's not going to blow you away with with any big highlights. He's not going to be the key cog on power play one, but um, he's going to kind of set the table and, and, and be a possession driver, um, make subtle plays all over the ice, be good down low in the offensive zone, add that physical presence, um, and, and that's all. Ultimately, what you've really seen from him uh, thus far in the tournament. If, if you had a line mate named Pedersen, it might be different with the points. Yeah, yeah, it might be. I think in that case, um, you know, you look at a guy like Pod Colson and, and he'd be able to do a, a lot of the, the, the dirty work um, for him. So, um, you know, that that's where things kind of kind of could work out well. Um, obviously, JT Miller is kind of fulfilling that role for Vancouver right now. And, and if anything, I think 
what a lot of people are kind of looking at is, okay, could Pod Colson be a really good fit next to Bo Horvat? Because that sort of second line plays that defensive shutdown role. But that's obviously further down the line. Yeah. You had a great article. I've, I've, I've read up on it. It was perfect for me to, to get into the Vancouver Canucks because obviously based in Sweden, there's a little bit of a time difference. Uh, I get to see the yeah. last 20 minutes of, of a game maybe uh, in the morning when I get up. Uh, but but uh, there are some really good things in, in um, the mailbag article on The Athletic that you produced. Was it released yesterday? 1st of January. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to have some added intro, please read that for, for, for from Harman. Um, and I know you, you're probably going to be great at answering questions if any of the Montreal fans listening to this have some you, they can contact you on Twitter as well um, looking um, there there are obviously one name for me as a Swede and I've interviewed him uh, quite a few times and uh, I've, I've seen him plays a lot but um, Neil Sörglander will he make the team this year? Yeah, he's obviously had uh, a really good year in Sweden, his second one after being drafted in the second round. And uh, I mean, the overall skill level is off the charts. The things that he's able to pull off, I mean, you see him um, in the highlight reels all the time with his Zorro goal, with some of the the through the legs kind of stuff he's done. Um, It's pretty crazy to, to just watch him play and see some of the things that he's able to pull off. His hands are just amazing. Um, I think as for coming over to the NHL, there are a couple of obstacles. I think right now he's a little bit of a long shot to make it just because he's still pretty raw. Um, I think it's going to take him, as it does for most Swedish players, a little bit of time to adjust to the smaller North American ice surface. Uh, probably take him a little bit more, a little bit of time to um, adapt to the bigger, stronger, faster NHL defenseman. Um, given that he is on the smaller side, he's a thick kid, but he's only five foot nine, so. That'll probably pose uh, a little bit uh, of an adjustment process. Um, and then the other obstacle just is the way that Vancouver's lineup is kind of constructed. Um, it's it's kind of hard for young scoring wingers that aren't overly experienced to kind of fit in because you have obviously line, lines one and two. You have the Pedersen line. The Horvat line plays um, really tough ma- uh, match. Right, they they go up against the Connor McDavid's, the Nathan McKinnon's, the um, the Austin Matthews's of the world. So you know you can't really stick a young guy like Hoglander in that role right away. Um, and then you go further down the lineup, the third line. That's where the Canucks have Adam Godet. He could, he's he had a really good uh, full campaign last year, good offensively, but he has shortcomings defensively. And so, if you have two young kids there in Godet and Hoglander playing on that same line, I don't know if um, Travis Green, the head coach of the Canucks, would trust that line defensively at five on five and, and really give them enough minutes. So. Um, it becomes a case of, okay, where exactly is Hoglander going to fit um, at this point in his development? Because um, lines two, again, line two, shutdown line, probably two high stakes. Um, line three, you're playing him with a center that isn't very good defensively. That could be a little bit of a challenge. And then obviously you don't want to stick him on the fourth line where he'd be playing with grinders. So um, I could see him getting games here and there for sure. Um, I think he's going to have a good camp. And... Um, and he's probably going to be one of the you know final contenders for a spot. But um, I think next year, so twenty twenty one slash twenty two is going to be the is going to be more realistically the timeline for him to uh, establish himself as a full time NHLer. 
So Taxi Squad today and uh, or, or this year and maybe the uh, um, a few games in the AHL or do you think he will permanent in NHL AHL? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, if you're the Canucks, I mean, obviously I, I'm not sure how they view the situation, but at least how I see it, if you've got a young prospect, I'd prefer them to be playing elsewhere rather than being on the taxi squad. So if things don't work out for him there, um, he's obviously got a home in Rogla in the SHL. Yeah. Um, so that could be a, a landing spot for him to go back and continue playing games. Um, and if not, as you mentioned, I believe the AHL is going to start to try – um, getting their season going in February. So um, there's been a lot of chatter about would he come to North America and play in the AHL or would he just stay in Sweden? Ultimately, I don't think it's a big difference. Um, I don't think they've decided on that. It, I think it's just a, just a situation of he's going to come, he's going to show up, the, the team's going to see where he's at, and then, they'll, the, and then the two sides will kind of work to see, okay, is he ready to make the NHL? Is he, is he better off staying in North America and playing in the American League or, or should he go back home to Sweden for another year? Also, let's remember right now, Rugley is top of the table in the SHL. Uh, they are clear favorites to, to win, actually, I think, uh, from when I look at, at everything. But you look at it from, from different perspectives and, and also going in to, to get a deep run into the playoffs. That will enhance the players as well. We saw what that did to Elias Pettersson. Not that maybe he needed more time to uh, supervise or, or learn on the job. Because he was the outstanding player and was the MVP of the playoffs that year. Um, it also comes down to the contract situation. I'm sure you were aware of that. But I'm not sure what the contract situation with Rugley is, uh, to be honest. But he is an exciting player. And I know he's going to be a fan favorite in, in, in Vancouver sooner rather than later. He still plays uh, street hockey with the kids where he lives in Rugley. So, so he's a fan favorite there. And I think he will bring the same uh, kind of attitude into to Vancouver when, it, when the time comes. Looking at the lineup, um, and, and in order to get um, being able to sort through different things here, um, are you running a 1A, 1B goaltender uh, duo this year, or, or what are you doing, really? Yeah, I think it's expected to mostly be a 50-50 split. Um, Thatcher Demko kind of came in last year, his, uh, his rookie season, and um, there were ups and downs, but he ended it on a really high note um, against Vegas. He was unbelievable. Um, I mean, on uh, on paper, you might look at that. Uh, you might look at that series and say, you know, the Canucks pushed Vegas to seven, and you know it was a really valiant effort. But the last three games was just Demko absolutely standing on his head. The Canucks were really tired at that point in the series. Um, they were getting outshot and outchanced really badly. And, and, and I think Demko in that series kind of was his coming out party and, and his, his establishing that, hey, I'm, I'm ready to kind of take the next step and perhaps become an upper echelon goaltender. So I think the Canucks continue to have high hopes for him. Um, and then beyond Demko, obviously, they brought in Brendan Holpe. Holpe's got uh, – uh, he's, he's basically won everything there is to win, right? He's yeah. got a Stanley Cup. He's got a Vesna. Um, his track record is excellent, but obviously in the last three years, he hasn't been the same goaltender last year. He was below 900 save percentage, um, though it is well worth noting that Washington was a really tough defensive environment to play behind. So that could, uh, that could have sort of been uh, another factor that hurt, hurt his results. But, um, you look at both those guys and I think they're going to be able to support each other really well. Um, and I do think the plan is for it to mostly be a 50-50 star a split, um, especially because, I mean, you look into this condensed 56-game schedule and 
Um, there are a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of three games and four nights. You're going to need both your goaltenders. Um, and I don't think the Canucks have really have in mind right now that, hey, you know, it's Demko's our guy or Holpe's our guy. It, it's going to be a pretty even split. Yeah, and uh, what what is Demko's strength, except for standing on the head in, in three games in a row? Well, I'm not exactly a goaltending expert here, but, uh, I mean, he's got a really calm demeanor. Um, just his overall movement patterns. He's never frantic in his crease. Um, he he makes things look easy when he's at his best, as a lot of goaltenders do. And um, I think he's also really strong mentally in terms of, I mean, you put a guy like Demko into the fire. Remember, he hadn't played a game in months when he got thrown into, I believe it was game five against Vegas. And um, up against elimination and for, for him to put up what he did, I mean, that shows a lot of mental resilience. And I think um, that's the hallmark that a lot of great goaltenders carry with them is that they have that mental fortitude, that strength. Um, Demko was a psychology major, if I recall correctly, at, uh, um, when he played in the NCAA, uh, going to school there. So uh, perhaps that factors into the equation. But he's just a, he's a Cali kid. Right. So he's really mellow, really calm. And so I think the mental demeanor um, really sets him up for a lot of success. And plus, just throughout his entire career coming up as a prospect, he's uh, been such a highly touted prospect. He was so good at Boston College. Um, uh, broke. Uh, I don't know. If, I, I can't remember if he actually broke Corey Schneider's records, but um, was really close to them. Um, and um And even in Utica coming up, went deep on a call to run. So he's just got a lot of big game experience under his belt. Um, and he's someone who is really coachable, easy to work with, and a quick study. And it makes sense to bring in someone like Braden Haltby in order to help him facilitate uh, these areas that already is his strength, but he can learn from someone that has been there, done that, and played professionally for that long. In, in different tough um, surroundings as well. Um, deep playoff runs and, and um, with with obviously a leaky de- defense in many ways because Washington has always had that offense built around uh, Ovechkin and... Um, oh, now I forgot his name. The Swedish guy. <laughs> Backstrom? Backstrom, yeah. Oh, brain fart. But, but yeah, um, so... so a lot of it has been to outscore the opponent. And when that hasn't happened, the, the opponent has been able to counter-strike as well. Um, looking forward, though, or, or looking to the defense, Quinn Hughes is obviously one of the players to watch for the future. Uh, but there's not really much behind him on, on that blue line, is there? You know what? I think that was definitely true in years past. I think the acquisition of Nate Schmidt was huge for that. Because you look at what Schmidt was able to do um, in Vegas, um, playing, um, you know, essentially as a top pair um, matchup defenseman, an elite puck mover, and the type of two-way impact that he was able to carry with him at five-on-five. He's a legitimate number two, number three defenseman um, on most teams around the league. And so I think adding Schmidt to the equation, now that you have Hughes and Schmidt as your one-two, I think you're a lot more comfortable, especially if you run them on separate deep pairs, have Hughes run uh, the first pair, uh, Schmidt run the second pair. Um, and then I think Edler, it's interesting because he's remained a top-four caliber defenseman, despite the fact that his skating stride has slowed down quite a bit. Obviously, we don't know how... I mean, a lot of times with guys in their mid- mid-30s, it's 
it's tough to predict when they're going to fall off a cliff. And who knows? It could happen this year. But um, if he can sort of more or less maintain the, t- the sort of form that he carried with them last season, um, then I think he's going to be in a pretty good position. Um, and, uh, and, and you obviously have Tyler Myers rounding out that uh, top four. I think he's a solid four or five. So actually the shape of the top four, I think, um, is pretty strong. It's the depth of the blue line that I think after the top four where you're pretty concerned about what happens if injuries strike because um right now the the third pair sort of the front runners to 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 stake a claim on those spots are Jordy Ben who was a healthy scratch for most of the second half of the season really didn't have a good time in Vancouver um and Ole Ulevi who still has a lot of question marks around him in his development so um as it pertains to the blue line top four is really good the the depth kind of leaves you skeptical and and wondering what will happen if uh, if injuries come up. Yeah, I have to I have to acknowledge the fact that I had forgotten that Edler was there. I read your article and I was like, yeah, you know, Edler, he's been around forever. Uh, it could really help with with this, um, as as we say, the fifty sixth game season might help the elderly uh, players or the older players, but it might also because the the schedule is so compressed, it might hurt them as well. Uh, because they take a little bit longer to to get back into sh- game shape after one game, especially after two games if there's three and four days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so it will be a spot to to look into. Obviously, Montreal Canadiens fans know about Jordy Ben, so so we we like him. But there was a reason he left as well because the the Montreal Blue Line has really stepped up in 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 their roles uh, over the time since he has left. Yulevi is, is, as you say, there's some question marks, but yeah, he's going to be in the ice in about 20 minutes. And, and uh, yeah, as a Swede, I always say this, that, you know, he's going to make sure that Swede doesn't go to the semifinals. Uh, but, but he's yeah. actually not. He's, he's, not he's actually aged out. Yeah, all right. I thought he was playing, really. No, he's, I mean, people forget because it seems like um, just a little while ago, but he's actually... I think he's 22 now. Like he, it's been it's been some time, and that's why Canucks fans have been uh, a little bit concerned about his development, uh, especially with the injuries he's kind of sustained. Yeah, and, but he has played very well in Liga this year, hasn't he? Uh, he played Liga two years ago, yeah. um, and so um, so 2018-19 he played, I believe, around 18 games oh, yeah. in Utica, and yeah. then he had a season-ending ACL injury. Yeah. Um, and then this past year, played with Utica again. So last couple of years, he's actually been in uh, North America. Um, Liga, yeah, two years ago, he was yeah. he was quite good there. But since then, he's kind of run into injury troubles. And um, there have been question marks about his mobility. Yeah, well, as a young player, we always hope that they're going to succeed and overcome uh, their, their difficulties. Uh, on the other hand, when you look at the offense that, that Vancouver possesses, it's incredible when you look at it. And I, I'll, I'll be the first to acknowledge, and I said this off the record to Murat Tesh when, when I spoke to him, but uh, I have gotten the Elias Pettersson death stare after a bad question in an interview. Uh, but I also see, <laughs> I've also seen him perform at such an amazing level. Uh, Sam Hallam, he's coached, uh, old coach in Beko Lakers, he told me, uh, on the record as well that you know he he had said to Elias Pettersson you know you need to go out and help this line you need to play your offside uh, uh, on the wing and then he 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 was like I couldn't really tell it was his offside because he played that line to perfection uh, and obviously 
the adjustment into center role when he went over to the NHL. Smoothless and, and really, really good. Uh, he is the leader of this team, or is it Brock Bosser? It's Zeflin Pedersen, for sure. Um, he's been the engine of this uh, of this team ever since coming in. He's he's the uh, he's the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, he's just um, it's not just his offensive numbers. He's quietly been a really strong play driver on both ends of the ice. Um, he's someone who leads a lot of zone exits, carries the puck through the neutral zone, makes plays upon gaining the offensive blue line. Um, he just helps in every department of the game and. Um, just the effort level even on, for instance, the back check, um, his positioning. He's never cheating for offense. And so, um, you know, people will look at the point totals. And obviously, he's he's the guy on power play one as as the main shot, the main weapon. Oh, well, with um, that shot, he, he's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been uh, – he's, he's, he's an incredible dual threat because – He's got that shot, but he's also got excellent vision and can set guys up just as well. Um, and then behind him, it's you've got guys like um, JT Miller really broke out for the team last year. He played with Pedersen, uh, but he did a lot of the sort of puck retrieval work. Again, a lot of the a lot of similarities in terms of Miller was really good through the neutral zone. Um, helped out a ton in the defensive end. Really good along the boards. So those two complemented each other really well. And then to have um, to, to to have Bo Horvat leading the second line, taking all the tough matchups. Um, he was sort of the Horvat kind of functioned as the trigger man in uh, in the bumper on the power play. Right, guys like Patterson and Miller draw the attention. And then what happens is defenders kind of lose track of Horvat in the middle, and Horvat ends up being the one that pots a lot of goals. So. Um, that kind of makes up the main offensive core in addition to what Besser brings. And it is a lethal top end. Um, although, again, similar thing as the back end. You've got questions about uh, about the depth near the bottom end of the lineup. Indeed. They're looking at the, the line. It's, it's names I recognize, but it's not names that I think should stand out in the year of 2021. Sorry, what was that? Your audio kind of cut out. Um, when looking at it, it's like... Uh, uh, Rosell, uh, Godet, Suter, Beagle, McEwen, Motti. It's it's names I recognize, but they're not names that I would see on other teams, maybe as a three fourth line. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. Um, it's there have been, I, I mean, the, the bottom six of the last couple of seasons has been, um, there have been challenges. I mean, um, the you look at the goal differential of when the bottom six has been been on the ice. Um, Vancouver's been outscored by a pretty drastic margin, and and part of it is um, the fact that at least the fourth line has taken some of the secondary matchups, but um, they're just not that good at controlling play, and um, it's it's been uh, a, a real struggle for them. Um, especially when you look at uh, a guy like Jay Beagle, right? He's got a ton of pedigree. He was really good, um, you know, coming up through Washington, but he's, the age is kind of catching up to him now, right? Um, and so uh, as a fourth line center, um, he's not quite the same player that he w- once was. I mean, um, Brandon Sutter, injuries have hammered him. He's a shell of the player he once was. I mean, he was he was decent. He held himself. He held his own in, 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 in the postseason. But the, the, the problem that I think you're seeing is, um, a, a lot of these guys are are oh, fine fourth line players, but you, I just don't think the third line is strong enough. Like I think that's 
one of the main issues that you kind of see is on a lot of other teams you have, let's say on Vegas, a guy like Alex Tuck, who would be in a lot of teams' top six, plays on the third line and is sort of that engine. The Canucks don't have that type of player. You're hoping that Adam Gaudet turns into that sort of piece. Um, he's got the offensive plaudits, just needs to round out his defensive game. Um, but around, aside from Gaudet, there are still a lot of you know question marks, moving parts, and um, it, it remains a pretty major weakness. It, when you look at it uh, from from the point of view of the North Division, uh, we need to look at it from, as you mentioned uh, uh, before, you mentioned uh, going up against the Matthews, the McDavid's, um, the Linus, etc. And uh, and and if you look at it, compare it then to maybe a team like Montreal Canadiens that has a more rolling four lines kind of way, uh, whereas you have more top two and bottom two with a big differential uh, in between. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's pretty polar opposites actually. If you compare Montreal and Vancouver and the way their roster is kind of constructed, I mean, um, the Canadians are just so deep on their roster. They don't have the elite top end uh, superstar of, of of a Pedersen's caliber, but um, they've got. Um, They've got four lines that all play really well, that can all chip in with a little bit of offense, that all add a little bit of defensive utility, that, um, you know, each line is really hard to play against. And um, they control the puck really well. Um, and so, you know, Vancouver is kind of the opposite, where anytime Pedersen or, or Horvat's on the ice, um, you know they're going to give you a really rough ride. And the Pedersen line in particular is going to eat up um, whoever – uh, their competition is, but when their bottom six steps over the boards, that's when you have a little bit of an opportunity to kind of feast on their soft underbelly, and um, that's uh, that's kind of the difference between Vancouver and uh, a team like Montreal is is balance versus top end talent. Indeed, and then you have maybe a team like Toronto that is obviously a little bit more uh, in between those two teams. They have the top ta- and top line talent. But they also have some depth, not as strong probably, but but they are there, and that's why they are challenging for for most likely the cup this year. They're favorites in the North Division so far. Um, looking at uh, coaching um, and maybe the taxi squad as well, you got Travis Green coming in as a as a uh, uh, coach, and is he an old style coach or is he more of a analytics driven coach? He's pretty progressive. Um, I, I think obviously. Um, anytime you're coaching, you never want to lose a sense of, you know, your your gut, your instincts. He still has that element, um, and he's still a really demanding coach in terms of um, what he expects out of out of his players as far as fitness and, and commitment to winning and um, two way details. But um, in my experience, he's 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 not one of those um, really old time coaches. Um, he knows how to communicate with his players and in a modern way. And, and um, he's not the sort of coach that is going to try and scare his teams into playing well, if that kind of makes sense, right? Like a lot of times you have a coach like Tortorella who he's, he's just going to do a lot of yelling. That's not Travis Green. Green, I've talked to him before too. He's progressive in the sense that he also embraces analytics. Um, uh, it was it was a really fascinating story for me to work on. Um, this I did in the in uh, in the playoff run that Vancouver had in the summer, 
Um, and so he looks at all that kind of stuff and, and he talks to his analytics department all the time. And um, he's he's trying to learn as much as he can. And, and he understands the value of, uh, of puck moving numbers of um, in, when he, for instance, one of the things that I talked to him about was every period he gets a report back, a sheet that shows um, shot attempt differential, right? So he'll look at the matchups like, okay, so Pedersen is being matched up against Matthews tonight. How's Pedersen doing in that matchup? And if one line's particularly struggling, then he may switch things up and change that matchup as an in-game adjustment. So um, I see him as pretty progressive. And when you look at how much value that he's un, uh, unlocked from this team, I mean, ever since 2017-18, I think, in his first two years, the Canucks missed the playoffs, but um, they did uh, they slightly expectations i'd say they you know a lot of pundits predicted them to be near essentially at the basement and and the canucks um were at least a little bit competitive and and then obviously this past year they they made the playoffs and, and had this really good run knocked off the defending stanley cup champions um i i think the canucks under green have just found a way to um play greater and perform at a level that's greater than the sum of their parts yeah, you also have the Elias Pettersson death stare, so it's fine. We, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we get that. Like, <laughs> no, but it's it's fine. And and I, I know I spoke to Elias Pettersson's old coach, Sam Hallam, as I said, and he was finding it the difficult way is to, to sort out the information and make sense to it so the players understand. And if Travis Green can, can make that happen, then it's perfect. And I know some players have said, like, I don't understand analytics, but when they tell me, I've had the puck seven seconds on my stick over 60 minutes, then I know I've yeah. done something wrong. And and you need to yeah. boil it down to that. And then, as you say, the the in-game um, coaching between periods, uh, that is a really smart way, of I think, of using analytics. I'm not sure that you can do it on the fly and uh, during the the, uh, the play, more or less. But, but yeah. using that 15, 17 minutes for, for you know, Running things around, checking things, making sure you got you are on top of your opponent, and that's a fascinating thing. It's it's chess in a way between the two coaches. Um, looking at your GM, uh, Jim Brenning, um, has he done his work, or or is either of those players, uh, these former players, and and now front office guys on the hot seat when the season starts? Yeah, I think uh, after the year Vancouver had exceeding all expectations, uh, there's definitely a little bit of um, um, he's got some cushion to work with, right? Um, you know, anytime you um, have the type of year that Vancouver had, it um, your leash isn't as tight as it was uh, the, year, the year prior, and um, Benning's been very uh, divisive um, in in the fan base. There are a lot of people that um, look at a lot of his early work and. And uh, they point to a lot of the inefficient bottom six contracts that are there and, and say, um, it's great that you brought in all this young talent, but how are we actually going to be able to become a, a cup contender with all this dead uh, weight still on our roster? And um, on the other hand, you have the optimists that really like the fact that, okay, he's implemented this core, drafting guys like Patterson and Hughes and Besser and um, has kind of set this team up for long-term success. So um, I, I, I think... At this point, he's pretty secure. He he has three years left on his contract, um, and especially you look at what happened with the pandemic. Um, the Canucks cut quite a bit of actual. Cash. They didn't spend 
a whole lot. I, I know the cap numbers will will tell you that they're close to the ceiling, but in terms of real cash and their actual salary commitments, um, it isn't very high. And 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 I think that sort of factors into the sort of idea that they're playing this year a little bit more conservatively. They're almost treating it as like a, a one-year reset where um, they're letting some of their young talent sort of seeing if they're ready to take the next step. Guys like Ulevi on the back end, Ulevi, Rath, Ulevi and Jack Rathbone on the back end. Um, players like uh, uh, Hoglander, McEwen, Lind. Just seeing if, if some of these young guys can take the next step and, and, and help um, the team grow internally as opposed to looking to the outside. And so I think because of that, the the team, the, the organization is going to be grading management on a curve and it's going to be a little bit more lenient. I think the 2021-22 season is going to be more decisive um, for Jim Benning's job security. Especially looking forward to, we know that there are four teams that are going to go through from the North Division, but... It is a tough division as well, and you, when you look at the lineups, it's, it's obviously Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, Calgary, um, Vancouver as well. I mean, the, the really soft target is, is, is really Ottawa. Yeah, it's the Canadian division is interesting because every team is competitive, but I think the advantage is, I'd, I, I, if I'm a team, I'd much rather be playing in the Canadian one because. Um, yes, you're not going to get any easy nights. You're not going to be playing against uh, Detroit seven or eight times a year. But um, the sort of advantage is none of the teams in your division are a legitimate powerhouse, right? Like there's no team that's, that scares you on the calendar. I mean, each team is going to give you a good fight, but the best team in the division right now is probably Toronto. And, and the best that they've done is they haven't, uh, you know, they've they underachieved last season and, um, I think they'll be a, a good club next year, but um, they're not in the same tier that, say, a Colorado is. Like, I think the Pacific, or, or sorry, the West, I think they're calling it, is um, what What are they going to have? Um, I think Colorado and Vegas in the same division or something like that. It's, is Dallas in um, there so as well? The, or, or, no, Dallas, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I sometimes mix up the... Uh, the exact uh, teams in which divisions they're in with the realignment. But the point I'm trying to make is there's just no legitimate like team that you're that scared of. And um, I think um, uh, I think the best example is the um, the I'm trying to pull it up. The East, I think it's the East Division, or is it the uh, it's um, one sec. I yeah, I want to get this right. Um, I think uh, what would have been the the usually the uh, uh, the metro. I mean, you look at uh, sorry here. I'm, I'm trying metro to metro is what is it? Um, Jersey Islanders, Rangers, Philly, Pittsburgh, Boston. Yeah, it, it's the East. It's the yeah. East. You've got Washington, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. As you mentioned, Rangers. I mean, just an Islanders. So many competitive teams. You've got. Uh, um, as I mentioned in the in the West, you've got Vegas and Colorado in the same division, and you've also got St. Louis. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a tough matchup. And then obviously in the Central, um, I think the the Central isn't too bad, but you've got the two two Cup finalists. You've got Dallas and Tampa uh, in there. So I, I think and Carolina. So um, I 
comparatively, when you look at the North Division and the Canadian teams, um, Toronto doesn't scare you the same way that Vegas does or, or the same way that Tampa does. And even there, the, the second best team is, you could argue, maybe Calgary. And, and, and again, they're just not, not the same caliber of, of other top teams in, in, in the other divisions. Now and, and imagine if if uh, Tampa would have ended up in that you know the the West, East conference or division as well you know that would have been, <laughs> <laughs> been crazy yeah too much <laughs> too much so so yeah but it's 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 interesting the alignment is there we know there's going to be a, a Canadian semi finalist in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year and and that will bring on some pressure I know um, looking at it do you think that if you are in the run for for the playoffs um, Will you be a seller at the de- or buyer at the deadline and give up some of that young talent that you have accumulated, or are they happy to just challenge this year? Yeah, that's a really good question. I uh, the, the Canucks have a couple of of uh, of uh, of prominent holes on the roster. I think number one is um, another top six forward on the right wing to play with Bo Horvat, and then number two, and this is probably the more pressing need is just another depth defenseman um, in to play that sort of number five role. And, um, and so I think depending on how injuries go and um, how some of like, for instance, if Jake Vertanen fits as a top six piece, then you don't necessarily need to fit that role, fill that role immediately mid season. Um, but uh, if you have challenges with that, or, or again, if there, if there are injuries and, and you want to remain competitive, then I could see the Canucks making uh, a modest move to try and uh, shore up uh, their numbers a little bit. So um, I could see that, and um, and obviously it's going to depend on on how the season goes because um, I don't think the Canucks are going to look at this uh, year, and, and if they are slow out of the gate, I don't think that they're um, going to panic at the deadline and, and try to you know push for another rental just to just to make the playoffs. It's a very interesting draft coming up as well, and. It might be a way to find different gems because you haven't been able to scout as much as normally when the draft comes around because seasons have been shorter. Uh, you haven't been able to travel the same way. Um, I know for a fact that when you sit in the stands, you see a little bit more. You can focus more on one player when that player is on the ice. You see how they behave away from the puck as much as you see how they behave with the puck. So I, I, I can understand that. And, and maybe that's another reason to to, to maybe not go all in for, for, for something, but to maybe shore up something on, on a short rental and not give up too much. You have one player that is on on, on the ice right now, and it's uh, Arvid Kostmar, who has had a really good World Juniors. Um, can he fulfill a role down the line uh, on, on um, the Canucks? Yeah, I know the Canucks were really... Um, interested to see him at the World Junior Championships and um, just watching how he's played. It's um, it's he, he looks like a competitive spark plug, someone who likes to play, um, who's just so annoying to play against. Like I, I, if you watch that game against the Russians, I mean he's stealing, um, you know, off the faceoff, he's he's stealing the other other centerman's stick. Um, he's he's goading player players, opposing players into taking penalties. He just—he looks like uh, he'd be an absolute pain in the butt to to go up against. And um, in addition to that uh, competitive game, he does have a little bit of playmaking upside, and he's put up a couple of uh, pretty big goals for Sweden. So 
Um, I think that's been really encouraging. He's flown kind of under the radar as one of the final picks of that 2019 draft. Um, I know that there are people in the organization a lot higher than that on him. And um, I, I think the next step for him would be just to continue to make hay in Sweden. I think he's um, done well at the junior levels, but uh, anytime he's gotten a little bit of action up uh, up in the SHL, hasn't produced a whole lot. So I think that would be the next step that you're looking for um, just to just because that would portend well for his potential NHL upside. Yeah, and also we have to acknowledge that Lynch shipping is a tire fire right now uh, compared to Rugla, who is, you know, not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there's the differences between the when you look at numbers and, and which is what many people do because you can't see all the games. And that's what I do sometimes when I look up, you know, Vancouver or, or, or Winnipeg. I, I, I look at the numbers because I haven't time to, to go through all the tapes that are available to see different setups. Um, when you look at it, um, if you predict the the um, Canadian division, how, how would you pick the teams? Top to bottom or bottom to top? <laughs> we know it's going to be bottom anyway, but... Yeah, I kind of view uh, the Canadian division in, uh, in almost three tiers. Tier one to me is Toronto. I think they're the uh, they're they have the high in depth and they have the depth, in my opinion. Um, whereas a lot of other teams, they have flaws elsewhere in the lineup, and um, so I view them as the top team in the in, in the division. Um, bottom it would be tier three, and, and I think that's that's pretty simply Ottawa. Um, and then it's tier two in the middle where, honestly, the, the margins are so slim. And I remember Dom Lushishin's, um preseason projections. Um, he's got four points separating the second place team in Canada and sixth place team. So, like, that just goes to show you that um, the team that's, let's say, ranked sixth going into the season could very well finish second or third. Like, anything could happen in the middle there. Um, and... Um, among those sort of, I believe, five teams in the middle, um, I think I like Calgary. Um, there's um, obviously been some challenges for them last season, but I think being able to add Jacob Markstrom is really going to stabilize the goaltending position from the, for them. Um, and I expect bounce-back seasons from Goudreau and Monaghan as well. So uh, the combination of, of those things happening should really propel them, I think, um, and then after that, um, I, I think most likely you're going to see, at least, you know, this is my guess would be that uh, Montreal, Edmonton and Vancouver fight for um, the third and, and fourth playoff spot. Right. So two two of the three would be would be able to get in. And um, I view them very, very similarly. I mean, there's very little that separates Vancouver and Montreal and Edmonton. They're, they're just so close in my opinion. And then, um, in my opinion, Winnipeg is six. I think they're, I mean, as long as they have Connor Hellebuck, they're going to compete for the playoffs, but, um, I think they're a little bit too reliant on goaltending. And I think if you look at what Hellebuck has had happen to him, um, he obviously had the Vezina trophy campaign last season, but, um, and, 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 um, in 2017-18, he was really good. But in between, just because goaltenders are so volatile, in 18-19, he wasn't that good, right? So I think it's just harder to bet on goaltending being and remaining elite year after year. So um, it, when I look at their blue line, I mean, it's, it's, it's in my opinion, you could argue that it's right, right down there with Ottawa. Um, and, and so because of that, uh, I'm not as high on, on the Jets, but... 
Um, I mean, theoretically, again, any team in in the two to six range could could steal uh, uh, the last uh, three playoff spots after Toronto. I think. Yeah, and when you look at Winnipeg as well, you you might have to consider was it an off year for Lina last year or wasn't it? There there are so many stories in that Winnipeg team that you don't really know how to to deal with just yet. Um, Vancouver, you're you're a team on the rise. How long will it take you to to become that cup t- contender? Yeah, that's a million dollar question in Vancouver that uh, a lot of fans have. I think. Look, the you know that the top end talent is there. It's about the supporting cast, and and the problem that I see is you're working and operating in a flat cap environment, and it's your hands are kind of tied with some of the contracts, right? It's not just that the supporting cast is in, insufficient. They're expensive, and they're still on the books for a couple of seasons. So I think it's going to take uh, – I, I mean, it's – within two years, you get Louis Erickson, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel all off the books. So that should be a help. Um, you kind of almost have to wait for them and their contracts to expire – to have the salary cap flexibility to open up um, to to spend a little bit more on your supporting cast. So um, I I view 2022-23. So I view that as the year where you you're you're in a good good shape. I think to put together a real Stanley Cup contender. Um, in the interim, you'd have to hope for a Louis Erickson retirement, which I don't see happening. Um, or something, or, or some other creative wizardry to open up cap space, um, or 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 you need a bunch of your prospects to hit, and that could happen. But uh, the timeline for that to happen, um, like people forget, uh, I, I think they've kind of been spoiled by Pedersen and Hughes hitting the ground right away. It takes some of these young players time to really become impact players, and I think patience is going to be required to really see guys like Pod Coles and, and Hoglander and Rathbone and Lind to really blossom. So um, I view 2022-23 season as uh, as the target to really become a true formidable cup contender. And that's the only problem you have there is that, correct me if I'm wrong now, that's Hughes, Horvat, Bozer and Pedersen will have new contracts around that time, right? Yes, yes. That's the other challenge to deal with um, is when a lot of these contracts expire – a lot of that money that frees up just is directly being allocated to their raises and, and Patterson and Hughes um, come up next summer and, and Horvath or uh, and Besser the year after. So um, yeah, it's going to be a tough to navigate and, and it's true for so many teams that are uh, trying to contend. Um, I think the flat cap is really throwing a wrench at a lot of te- in a lot of teams' plans. Indeed. Uh, we're listening to Harman Dial from uh, Athletic Vancouver. Um, any last uh, projections for, for, for this upcoming season? Um, nothing other than to say that it's going to be like I'm looking forward to the chaos. I mean, anytime you have a condensed 56-game schedule, you're reducing the sample size even more. And um, I, I mean, all it takes is, uh, you know, in, in this sort of a division, when, when, when there isn't a huge runway, if you get on one hot streak, I mean, just think back to L.A. closing the year like 7-1 and one or 7-0. and oh. I mean, the Kings aren't a good team, right? But if you go on that kind of a run to start the season, you've got such a head start that you might just make it into 56-game season. So you might see one of these teams that you don't expect to make it just get 
lucky and to hit the ground running. Where, and, and, and conversely, you may see a top contender that you view as a guaranteed playoff shoe-in sort of stumble out of the gate and then you don't have the time to make up the ground and get back into the playoffs and they may miss. So um, I, I, I'm just looking forward to a lot of surprises and I think um, that's the beauty of sports and, and this season is just going to be so wide open and fun to watch. And uh, as Montreal fans, we have experienced both. We have experienced that odd start. Uh, what was it with 12 and, and nil uh, wins in a row for Carey Price and then obviously we had two eight lost stretches last year so you can't really afford that as you say in a in a uh, shortened season and um, how important will the taxi squad be because that is something we haven't really experienced before um do you think that will play a huge impact down the line or, or do you think that uh, it's just a better way of managing your ahl team right now well it's it's going to be a tool i think for teams that aren't so kind of the way the cap works is um, you accrue space daily. And um, what happens is teams closer to the deadline because you're only acquiring a portion of the player's contract, right? So let's say a player um, is making has a $6 million cap hit and um, you're halfway into the season. Um, you He may carry a $6 million cap hit, but to fit him into the season, fit him into the team mid-year um, – because half the season is already gone, his he's only going to cost say like three million to your books, um, and so what happens is the closer you get to the trade deadline, you can continue to accrue more space, and what the taxi squad will uh, allow you to do is, you know, the way standard rosters work is you've got 20, 20 players that are going to dress every night, and then you've got kind of like three spares that are healthy scratches. If you're a team that is, um is looking to squeeze out a little bit more room what you can do is sort of look to massage and use those extra three players that aren't playing and sort of just bounce them onto the taxi squad in and out of the roster um so that say on a practice day right um where your team isn't playing you can um you have your 13th forward on the taxi squad and then all of a sudden he's not counting for your cap that day and that's going to allow you to create a lot more flexibility closer to the trade deadline of course you only accrue space if you're not into ltir Right, if you don't have a contract that's on long-term injured reserve, so this doesn't benefit a team like Vancouver, uh, but a club like Toronto that's right up against the cap and does not have a contract going into LTI, the taxi squad is going to allow them to play these sorts of cap games um, to just create in, in a little bit more wiggle room, um, and so that's kind of the way to look at it. Yeah, I saw someone was making an example last night uh, about how Rangers could do it and. Obviously, for Toronto, it would mean a huge impact if you can sign another defender into that uh, lineup for, for the playoffs. And uh, let's face it, we, we all think that Toronto will be one of the teams that will be in the yeah. playoffs. Uh, Harman Dayal, follow him on, on Twitter under Harman Dayal2. Uh, um, uh, read his articles on The Athletic, uh, Vancouver. And uh, thank you, Harman, for, for joining us. It's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, Maybe we can do this again sometime when we uh, come closer to one of the long series between Vancouver and Montreal during this chaotic season. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.